Hello, everybody, and welcome to Azizi Podcast. My guest today is Tomisin Salam. Tomisin is the founder and CEO of Fiat Match. Tomisin is on the path to build a global remittance community to democratize access to currency exchange and to end currency exchange manipulation for the global diaspora. As always, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and rate it on any platform that you're listening it on, hopefully with a positive review. Enjoy, everybody. What does Fiat Match do? Right. So Fiat Match essentially is democratizing financial services for immigrants and people who need to move money from one country to another, whether businesses, whether retail customers. And the goal is to build a universal bank with a suite of solutions. But what we're focused on right now is international money transfer and democratizing that process. So today, if you wanted to send money anywhere in the world, the options you have, you never get like an option to say, this is how much I want to pay. This is what rate I'm going to be quoted. So if you're sending a thousand dollars, you'll be losing anywhere from um, $30 to $120, depending on the money transfer platform that you use. And what we're doing is saying that there are other processes that can make this happen in a cost-effective way. But it starts with taking out the middlemen, the cost drivers, the FX agents. So you can send money on our platform in three different ways. Um, the first way is P2P. So I need to send the money to the U.S., for instance. I will be matched with someone in the U.S. who needs to send money to Canada. We both set our rates. We both negotiate. Once we agree, the person in the U.S. will pay fiat match. In the U.S., I will pay fiat match in Canada. We take a tiny fee and then disperse to your recipient. So now you're saving at least 85% of the cost you spent today. The second way, of course, is through local currency shops. Those guys always have the best rate because they do not depend on the FX agents, right? They have, they're getting their money directly from the source. So what we're doing is we're creating a platform that they can use without having to build out their solution from scratch. So if I go on the platform Fiat Match app and say I need to send money anywhere in the world, I will have access to either do P2P or use a local vendor. It's a win-win for the customer and the vendor because now customers can benefit directly from the vendor rate. Vendor mm-hmm. two can get the exposure and send their customers to Fiat Match app or you know do transactions for Fiat Match customers. And of course, we're just building out the community. Uh, the third way is what you can do on any other platform, which is we complete the transaction for you. And what's, uh, can, could you give me an example of a vendor that you just mentioned? Like what kind of vendors that would be? Okay, so money transfer agents. So there, there are different terminologies. Like, like MoneyGram? No, MoneyGram no. is another money transfer company. Got it, competitor. Like Got it. So yeah, so you'd have like the um, the change, like they call them, the current local currency shops, the smaller ones. Oh, okay, like small cash exchanges, right, right, right. Yes, yes. And, you know, those guys are not online. They have good rates, better than the banks, better than the apps, but they don't have any app customers can, can leverage. So mm-hmm. um, we could have, a hundred vendors on the platform and customers will still be able to use them directly. 
So I really like this peer-to-peer uh, model. Like it's, I feel like it's very interesting. You said there's going to be some negotiation. Like they're going to meet on your platform. They're going to meet each other. And then how does this negotiation happening? Are they like chatting with each other and trying to like bargain? Or is it going to be like an automated, like you push this button, you bid on this, you, I bid on that. Like how does this process, process happening? You can actually chat like live. So when I uh-huh. go on the platform and say, I want to send a thousand dollars, you know, you have several filters uh, mm-hmm. that you can use. Once you do that, we show you all the customers that match the criteria that you set. And then you can pick one of them and you start a chat and you start chatting. Um, this is how much I would like to pay. And once you both agree, you, of course you cannot, we have um, things in place where you cannot exchange personal information. And once you both agree, or you need to change the rate, we also have an option for you to customize the rate based on your chat. And when you agree, when one customer says, I agree, the other one says, I agree, then we start the payment uh, processing for both of them. That's crazy. So you're basically cutting off like the bank, like I don't have to use the bank rates, I don't have to use any sort of other uh, exchange rates that are on the market. It's basically you see the rates and then you can show it to your peer on the other side somewhere and say like, hey, this is how much banks are charging us. Let's try to meet somewhere in the middle so that we both win from this deal. Is that is that kind of like the... Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. So you have banks, they'll always charge FX spreads. A lot of them will always charge FX spread. But there are new companies now saying, we don't charge you a fee, send money for free. But then when you ask them, how do you make money? Yeah. FX spreads, of course, that's how they make money. We will never charge you an FX spread. It's a basic fee of $5, regardless of the transaction you want to do. Uh, you know, we need money to maintain the platform. But yeah, that's, that, that's what it is. Of course, we have other solutions we're going to be launching pretty soon. So. And... Uh... You guys are based in uh, Canada, right? I saw that there's some licensing uh, on the LinkedIn page. I saw the information about that. Yes, Canada is at HQ. The mm-hmm. goal is to go into you know several countries. Uh, we have several partnerships that can enable us do transactions in over 120 countries. Currently, you can do airtime top-offs, gift cards, uh, utility payment, um, basically airtime top-offs and gift cards in 138 countries on the platform today. Mm-hmm. Um, for the money transfer, because it's a huge market, we're launching country by country um, to make sure that we're mitigating the risk um, and we're not doing too much starting out. Right. Like that's so interesting. And then the platform itself for user is going, is it right now is like a browser version or you also like working on some other like platforms, like, like, like app, for example, or something like that? Yes, we are on the iOS, um, Apple Play Store, um, Apple uh, iOS Store and um, uh, the Android the store, yeah. Play Store. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So you can, you can access it there. For our vendors, there's a web version. Um, so what we've done on the vendor side is really interesting. As a vendor, you don't actually need to be engaged in the money transfer process. All you have to do is fund your wallet with us. And then when a customer says, I want to use, I want to transact with this vendor, we automate the process. So you could be a vendor sitting in your office. It's more or less a passive income stream for you. Um, and the goal is to democratize the process even more so that 
a regular individual or high net worth individual who is interested in this space can get into the business without having to go through the regulatory compliance and all that because we will onboard the customers, do the checks and make it so that there's no fraud going on. Uh, uh, the vendors are not stressed. You don't have to be great at using a computer. Um, all you need to do is fund your wallet and monitor your transactions. Got it. So, and you know, actually speaking of that, we're, we're recording this podcast on November 10th, 2022. And there was recently this scandal between FTX and Binance and all of that. So I just wanted to ask you, like in terms of your backend work, uh, do you guys operate, like have some like a, like a liquidity on your balance sheet? Like, for example, if I'm uh, transferring money to someone else, is this like my money goes directly to that person or my money goes to you and then you pay the person with the rate that, you know, was established. So just like, how does this work on the back end? That's the most interesting piece of the business model. Today, money transfer, that's why some of them charge so high because there's only one way transaction. So today, if I want to send money on maybe uh, a remitly, I would pay remitly in Canada and remitly has to have fund in the other country to disperse. So there's actually money moving from one country to another, but we make all the transactions local. So take, for instance, I'm transacting with someone in the U.S., for instance. The person in the U.S. is paying fiat match in the U.S. I am paying fiat match in Canada. We take the money from both of you, take a small fee, and then disperse, right? Mm -hmm. So there's actually no flow of money from one country to another. We've made international money transfer local and mm -hmm. reducing the cost because there's no FX agent that we will be depending on in another country. And there's no banks that would be, you know, providing any kind of FX for us. So it's all about community. And I, I feel community can really solve this whole thing about currency exchange manipulation, which mm -hmm. is our goal, which is also a way to reduce world poverty. Mm -hmm. Is currency exchange manipulation is something that very kind of like, obviously it's a serious deal, but um, do you feel like this is hard to regulate on your side as a business? Like, do you like, do you like encounter some sort of like bad actors, for example, that want to take advantage? Like, how would you fight that? So currency exchange manipulation is a decades long problem. Um, everybody's engaged in it in the business. Um, it's just a matter of what you call it. To me, it's manipulation because one, if I use a vendor today and um, an FX agent today and say they would be my FX provider, they would give me a rate, could be the mid market rate or close to the mid market rate, and then I would put something on top of it, which is the FX spread. And I could, depending on how much money I want to make, I could put anything on top of it. So that's where the manipulation is. Nobody get access to the actual need market rate. And that's what we're trying to do to make sure that customers get access to the original rates, which is we post the original rate on our platform. So when I'm setting up my rates on the platform, I can see that this is today's rate. And then negotiations will be based off of that. No FX spreads, no manipulation. So as a company, we that's our foundation to cut currency exchange manipulation, no FX spreads. And you know, we feel community is the only way we can we can grow that. 
Right. And, and you've mentioned, uh, I think you mentioned several, like you, you're going to spread internationally to 120 countries, but does that mean you're also adopting more and more uh, different currencies? Like how many currencies are you working with right now? Or it doesn't matter. Okay. So we just uh, launched last month. Um, we have over 5,000 pre-registered users, over 20,000 um, engaging with our content, uh, the immigrant library, the boot camps, the skill-up programs, the, the podcast. But we've only opened up to about 50, and we're doing you know, close to 100K, and we're trying to say, okay, this has been going really well before we open up to right. a whole bunch of people. Let's not do too much at the time. Let's make sure that the system really works, which is really working. And we're proud of that. And it's just a matter of opening up to uh, more people gradually. So we set up something. Um, it's an invite-only platform. Once you're on the pre-registered list, you have access to do transactions. You complete your KYC. Once you've done that, you have access to invite five of your friends and family to use the platform. That's another layer of security. So at any point in time, each member is known by at least one member of the community. So that in itself is one security level that we're, we're, we're proud of. It's just a matter of how fast are we going to grow? How far are we going to get access to more people, more countries? Um, our pre-registered users are currently in 16 countries. Um, we want to get to each country really fast, but at the same time, we have to grow slowly so that nothing is breaking. We have a global compliance regime. Um, it's been audited by Grant Thornton. So all the legal work has been put in place, which is really good. Um, it's just a matter of, um, you know, making sure for each country, we're doing the right things. Um, we are not uh, just going after growing um, and throwing out caution. Um, but yes, we see like a trend for us to be able to easily get into other countries um, um, fairly easily. We have a partner that can give us access to 120 countries, but we're not going to do that today. We're not going to do right. that today. And yeah, does that yeah. answer your question? Yes, absolutely. And uh, Thomasin, this, this this is such a ambitious project, and I feel like you're going against all these trends. You know, everyone's about crypto, but you're 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 in the fiat, right? You're in the fiat game. It's literally in the name of the business. So that's uh, I don't know. That's very interesting. I feel like, and I feel like there's something there. Like uh, there's there's an edge there. Could you tell me a little bit more about how you started this company? Like a little bit about your background. How did you come up with this whole idea? And and even like how did you become an an entrepreneur? Thank you. That, that's a great question. So I've always been the type that like to solve problems. So my first business was in fashion in my sophomore year university. My mom, you know, uh, had this entrepreneur um, thing. My dad was a Coca-Cola executive and she used to trade clothing, jewelry and all of that. And I would take, I started with selling makeup. Um, <laughs> and then I would take that from my mom and go to the center of the school and sell that. Grew that into a small fashion boutique by the time I had graduated from university. And, and uh, where did you, where'd you, did you live at that time? That was in Nigeria. I'm originally from Nigeria. And then um, when I graduated, my dad was an all for entrepreneurship. So I got a job with the government, working in the accounting department, learned a lot there. And then there was this radio station, a national radio station that was almost going through bankruptcy at the time because it didn't have any standardized um, accounting system. So uh, with the help of a consultant, I built a payroll software 
to do um, accounting and payroll and decided to move to Canada to build a payroll software. So I, I became a data team resources professional, went to the University of Waterloo to build a payroll software. And wow. after- <laughs> Hold on, let, let's pause there. You, you were helping out your father who was a government employee and you needed to implement a payroll system and you basically come up with this like licensed a payroll software for uh, for the office basically and then you wanted to so you wanted to kind of like scale that that thing that process and you went to canada to do that okay so great so back then the word innovation wasn't really good this was in uh 2000 2011 uh-huh. and smaller companies in nigeria at the time couldn't afford the likes of the enterprise system oracle sap Right? right, and they had to do things manually. Mm. But then I could use Excel, so build a standardized system with an Excel spreadsheet, and thought, okay, what if we build a solution for small businesses? Um, the first step is I have to really know human resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I moved here, did a postgrad in human resources at Georgian College in Barrie, Ontario, and then went to Waterloo. Uh, I like to call it the Silicon Valley of Canada. Uh, to nice. do the payroll software. And halfway into that, my mentor at the time told me, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Why don't you license a payroll software and take that to Africa? And I got introduced to um, a couple of uh, um, tribe HR and wage point at the time. And one of them wanted me to go start operations in Africa. But I, I thought at the time, was I passionate about payroll? I wasn't really passionate about it. So I, I, I didn't take the offer. And there was this... Um, a company called Rumi was just an idea at the time um, that I got involved in. And what Rumi was doing was making education accessible to kids all around the world by preloading educational content on a tablet that was sold for $50. That had massive impact. One year into that, the company won best social startup in the world, MIT Solver World, the US Library of Congress, the Google Impact Challenge. And that gave me some sort of exposure because my job there was the strategic partnerships manager. I was responsible for getting partnerships with education institutions, um, NGOs, and fast food. Forward, I, I went back to Nigeria to visit and I saw some of my friends how we grew up together who couldn't access mm-hmm. education. So I thought, why not replicate something like this for adults? So I started studying and that was more of giving adults, you know, access to skills training that they could do between one to three months and that can land them a job. So mm-hmm. I was doing that up until the pandemic and I wanted to move all of my money from Nigeria because uh, I knew the currency was going to get devalued. And for every $10,000 I was bringing to Canada, I was losing $2,000. And I thought, no way, this is insane, right? So what I did was I put about 100 into the business, tested with friends and family to see if there's really uh, a solution here. And then um, six months into that, I was confident there's something here. So I started reaching out to experts in the fintech space in the U.S. and in Canada. And they would say, this is a bold move. This is going to change the industry. But can you get past regulations, global Mm -hmm. regulations? Can you get past global compliance? And that's what we've done in the past year before we launched in October, making sure that we have our regulatory requirements in check. Uh, making sure that we wouldn't run into any problems, getting the right partners. So it has given us the time to build a comprehensive solution, not just an MVP. Like, so we have a robust app that, that has a lot of functionalities. Right. And now um, it's just exciting uh, because 
while we were doing that, the regular com uh, compliance, we were building the community through our several programs, the immigrant library and stuff. So it's just exciting times now that we're actually being able to solve a problem for immigrants. I'm, if I'm an immigrant and I'm working really hard and I'm being charged 40 to $120 on a $1,000 transaction and my family back home leave on $2 per day, imagine how long they're going to spend $40. This is yeah. $24. You know, healthcare and all of that good stuff. So we're really happy. You know, we're delivering on promise. Absolutely, and uh, I, I'm really. It's really interesting that you're. You know, experienced it yourself, and you found a problem that was a, your problem, right? With the devaluation of the currency, and then you know this uh, crazy fees that's being that are being charged, and then you you found a solution, and you're providing it to the people. Um, you've mentioned this interesting idea of a mentor, and I'm, I'm particularly interested in uh, in that idea. Uh, could you tell me more about your mentor? How did you find a mentor? And uh, what is the secret of, uh, I would say, finding a mentor? Right. So the, the good thing was in the program, um, it, was the, it was the Masters of Business, Entrepreneurship and Technology at the University of Waterloo. Uh, so there was, you know, access to um, folks who have built massive companies, startups. So it came with the program. But what I have done in terms of getting mentorship is not just, you know, there are different kinds of mentors. You know, there are those that have done what you've done. There are your peer mentors. Um, there, there, there are people you're mentoring to learn. So I engage in all of these processes to say, okay, what can I learn from someone who's done what I have done, or what I'm doing now? And then my peers, what are they doing in the fintech space to really be abreast of what's happening in the fintech space? Um, you know, you need, for us, for instance, we are a global company and we're looking to become a global company. So we have to have, you know, mentors and advisors in different segments, um, in different countries uh, to say, what is the best strategy to use in the UK, for instance, in Africa, for instance, in Europe, in China, and the like. So when you're looking for a mentor, the first thing is you don't want to be wasting anybody's time. So I always make sure that I do my research in terms of um, what are the interests of this mentor? Um, apart from they helping me, um, what can I give back to them? Um, making sure it's not a waste of time, making sure they'll be interested. And then it's a numbers game, like I said. When I wanted to start the, the, the uh, fiat match, my idea was on any topic that I needed help with, I'll look for 50 experts and I'll send them all messages. I knew that I might not get any response, but if I got one or two, it will be great because I'll be speaking to an expert. That, that has always been my strategy. And I would find that maybe two or three or four. And sometimes I even have more who were helping. So um, don't be afraid to get a no. It's a numbers game. Reach out to people that you know that can help you. Network. When you go to this networking event, and I've been doing a lot of networking recently. I met you at a conference, right. and now this is now a relationship. Yeah, we met in the line uh, Yeah, for, for dinner. We were standing in line for food, and uh, yeah, we just started a conversation. <laughs> exactly. And look at exactly. this. We're not, now we're talking. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Exactly. So you have to put yourself out there. Um, I didn't do that for a long time. Um, because when I'm solving a problem, I always want to be, I always want to make sure that 
I'm not going to be wasting anybody I'm reaching out to. I'm not going to be wasting their time. So I like to do my homework first. Once you're confident you've done your homework, you know, I would go into meetings then and, you know, lawyer friends, since a fintech lawyer friends would say, you know, everything you need um, is just about putting the documents together. So I wouldn't go into that, like the FinTrack license, for instance. I didn't need a lawyer to get that. And ideally, you would need a lawyer to get that. Mm -hmm. I went on the website, did all of my research, found out all the requirements, and then got the advice of a lawyer um, later on. But I applied to it myself, right? So you always have to do your homework before you get in front of a mentor. And then hopefully, they'll be willing to, to speak to you, but it's a numbers game. Do you currently mentor anyone? Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, do you find point. do you find do you find it challenging to mentor someone while you also you know being mentored sometimes by by like other people and at the same time you're running this international business? It's insane. Uh, I would say I don't have a life. I you know um, that's one thing I'm still struggling with, balancing things and getting enough sleep. I don't even think I've gotten up to four hours of sleep a day um, in the past year and a half. But I think I've been used to that. I've been used to juggling a lot of things. And the MBIT program, for instance, it was nine courses per semester, and you had to do your own business. You had to be helping um, an undergrad student. For me, I was involved in four companies, right? Working with a PhD student, working with Romy, trying to build my business, and then trying to help um, undergrad students as well. MBIT did at the time was they would bring um, lots of the undergrad people to us to evaluate the ideas and say, this is a nice sort of idea, you need to move forward or not. But it's extremely challenging. And sometimes I have to say, no, I cannot um, be a mentor. And, but as much as, I think I've only said no to one person and it was because I was juggling a lot, a lot of things at the time. But, you know, it's challenging. It's something I am passionate about. I. I, 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 I told myself after working with me that I'm only going to be involved with impact projects, right? Projects that can impact lives of people. Yes, they're going to make money, but more of the impact. So if I'm able to mentor one person, two, two people, three, whatever, and give back, by all means. Um, Thomasin, this is such a great conversation and, uh, you know, your, your life story is so inspiring. You know, you, you, you were an immigrant that came to Canada that built several businesses, you know, and now you're doing this international financial business. What would be your advice for immigrants that are coming to Canada and also want to become entrepreneurs and start their own, uh, like companies, fintech companies, or, you know, just tech, tech companies in general? The first thing is... You have to know where you're going. You have to have a goal. You have to know where you want to be in five, 10 years. And I like to say the principle of backcasting, knowing my destination and then drawing out the steps that would land me in that destination. So if I want to be um, a CEO, for instance, I have to you know, write it down step-by-step step what is going to get me there. And I have to be ready to immerse myself in that journey and work hard. Now, and, you know, this is something I see all the time. There is really nothing a human being cannot achieve as long as you're willing to. I'll tell you this. 
when I moved here to Canada, my first assignment in the program, we haven't even started classes. You know, you just log and then you see an assignment and where I'm coming from, it's not the same. I was freaking out. And you know, my dad was a human resources executive. I had to get help from him. And you know, I was really scared I was going to fail. And you know, I went to a professor and I said, okay, this is the challenge. And all through my program, all through the, the my educational at Georgian College at, you know, I was like on excellent. You know, my least score would be around 80, right? So mm-hmm. it made me believe in myself that, oh, I thought I wasn't brilliant. And now I'm achieving it. But it was because of the hard work. It was because I was dedicated. So no one is going to hand anything to you. As an immigrant, you have to be dedicated to your course and, you know, work hard, believe in yourself and don't take no for an answer. That's uh, beautiful. Thanks. Great advice. Uh, and I hope everyone who is listening will take that advice. And And I'm pretty sure everyone's going to be very inspired by your story. Thomasin, thanks so much for being on this podcast. How can people reach you and uh, how can they get more information about your project? Uh, thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, thanks for having me. I mean, now I have to get better. The only social media I'm on is LinkedIn. So now I have to open an Instagram account or Twitter account. But, you know, it's just uh, LinkedIn.com slash Tomasine slash Salam. Um, uh, Fiat Match, when you put Fiat Match on Google, you can you can see more information about us. But we're on, we're on all social media apart from TikTok for now. So, um LinkedIn is the best way to, to, to reach. I'll provide, me. I'll provide the links in the description for this podcast. Perfect. Right. Perfect, perfect. Thank Great. you so much, man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you.